Dave Fanning on 2FM. Now, most of us have or had a pet that we believed loved us unconditionally. But is that really the case? I mean, do pets and animals experience emotion in the way that we think they do? Well, one person who knows a lot about emotions and can quite possibly answer this question is psychologist Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's a professor of psychology at Northeastern University in Massachusetts and author of Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain and How Emotions Are Made. So, Dr. Feldman Barrett, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, Do you think we have been interpreting our pets' emotions incorrectly all this time? Well, Dave, the way you're asking the question is it presumes that that animals, pets, have emotions the way that humans have emotions, that human emotions and, and pet emotions are, are identical. So um, that's the claim that I'm I'm taking issue with and trying to have a conversation about. Okay, well then let's take a look at it then because the question is, if I just ask straight out, do animals have emotions or do we project our own? I mean, if you have an animal, my answer is going to be yes and I do have an animal. But from a scientific perspective, does the question remain open or is the answer no? Well, uh, let me just say at the outset, I also have a dog who <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really, as when I take my lab coat off and I'm not thinking like a scientist, I'm absolutely sure she loves me. I mean, mostly she loves me because I give her a lot of treats. Um, uh, you know, I'm the one who feeds her the most in, in our house. Um, so uh, I'm her favorite person. Um, and we've had pets really for the last 25 years in our house. Um, so in How Emotions Are Made, I tell this story about this little guinea pig. My yeah. daughter always had really a herd of guinea pigs um, uh, from the time she was five until she was 18. And there was a particular guinea pig that I was really quite attached to named Cupcake, who I used to carry around in my pocket. Um, so I'm not immune <laughs> as a pet owner to the feeling of loving your animals and and feeling that they love you back um or looking at uh you know my dog luna and seeing uh you know sadness or elation in her um in in her movements um just like you know i might see sadness or elation perceive it in um you know, my daughter's movements or yeah. Dave and your movements, if you and I were actually face to face and talking to each other or, you know, the way that I experience those emotions in myself. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what's going on in my brain is what's going on in in Luna's brain. Right. And I think yeah. that's the yeah. that's the place where this starts to become a really interesting kind of question. The way that scientists ask the question assumes a certain assumes certain things about emotion that turn out not to be true so when we say do animals have emotions really what we're asking is do they have the kinds of emotions that humans have yeah um and that's i think where um the answer is probably no for most of the animal kingdom okay well yeah let's take it from a side road i mean do animals have basic feelings i mean do they have rudimentary signs or body language to to i don't know to communicate basic emotions that they don't have (laughs) yeah so let's let's leave aside the idea of emotion for a second and, and go with feeling just like you said um so you know we humans have these very simple feelings um of um, their very physiological feelings, like feeling pleasant, feeling unpleasant, feeling comfortable, feeling uncomfortable, pain, pleasure, feeling worked up, feeling calm. These are simple feelings that come from the 
the way that our brains regulate the systems of our body. So that's our brain's main job, really. That's every brain's main job is to regulate the systems of the body that it's attached to. And we experience the consequence of that regulation as these kind of simple feelings that are always with us all the time. They're, they're not emotions. Um, they're just feelings that are with us always, um, whether we are emotional or not, whether we're even aware of them or not. We're always in some state where we're feeling comfortable or uncomfortable, feeling pleasant or unpleasant, feeling worked up or feeling calm. And um, because our brains always regulate the body, and so we always have these feelings, they're properties of consciousness. And I think it's a pretty good guess that, you know, that most, well, certainly all vertebrates seem to have these simple feelings, which you know, we might call mood or a scientist might call affect with an A. I think there's really good evidence that really all animals that have backbones, including fish and chickens and, you know, birds, other kinds of birds and, and, and certainly mammals um, have um, these feelings. And there's even some evidence that some crustaceans have these feelings too. Um, you know, Insects is a little harder to make that guess, um, and they, they don't really show the behavioral signs of having these feelings, um, like flies and so on. Spiders, it's harder It's harder to know. So, you know, there's some, a gray area there, but I think with, with fish upward, you know, we're, uh, I think we're, we're on pretty safe ground to say that, that they have the same kinds of pleasant, unpleasant, pleasure, pain kinds of feelings that we do. Okay, so do you think then, does the human brain generalize in order to interpret emotional behavior? Yeah, I would say that, Dave, that the human brain doesn't interpret emotional behavior. It interprets actions to create experiences of emotion. Do you know, hold on, the, the funny, you have this Dr. Frankenstein analogy thing where like, you know, you put something into the into the the creation and, you know, there's a kicking reflex and then there's a finger reflex or whatever. And then the lips go up on either side, you know, on the face. So, hey, look, you know, this guy's happy. So like, you know, the first two are simple actions, but the third one, that's emotion. No, it isn't. Well, no, it isn't actually. So. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting that there are these studies where you can take people who um, uh, are having their brains stimulated, like actually electrodes stuck in their brains. They're preparing for an operation. And um, as a consequence, doctors have to, you know, check if they're going to, you know, fiddle around with the connections inside the brain with surgery, you know, to save someone from having epileptic seizures or what have you, you know, they, they kind of use electrodes and they kind of test around. And one really interesting thing is that there are, there is a part of the brain that you can stimulate it and the person will make a smiling movement with the face, um, but they actually feel no pleasure. And what's really interesting, Dave, is if you actually look at studies to see, well, when people are happy, what do they do with their face? Um, it turns out that they smile only about 30% of the time, right. which is more than chance. But but actually, it means that about 70% of the time, they're doing something else with their face that is not smiling, but is sim but is meaningful as an expression of of happiness. And it turns out that well, most of the time when people are smiling, they're not experiencing happiness, they're experiencing something else. Mm -hmm. So it's a mistake to think that smiles are always an expression of happiness or that scowls are always an expression of 
of um, anger, you know, or that pouts are always an expression of sadness and so on. Well, then there's no circuitry, uh, like there's nothing dedicated to any specific emotion. And like, you know, I don't know, circuits for action is not the same thing. So are emotions constructed or are they innate? They're constructed, for sure. I mean, I, I think that they're, well, I shouldn't say for sure. No scientist should ever say that. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, let me say it differently. Um, my very strong um, uh, belief inference. Yeah, it's a belief. Well, it's mm. a belief based on, you know, 30 years of research and reading thousands yeah. of research articles. So it is a it's a hypothesis that I don't have a lot of doubt about. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, I think that um, there for many, many, many years, there was this assumption that humans were born with emotion circuits buried deep inside some animalistic part of our brain that we shared with other animals, um, and that everyone around the world, you know, had these circuits, um, and that really our brains were, you know, the battleground for um, uh, our big, fat, cerebral cortex where rationality is supposed to live, you know, to sort of tame our yeah. inner beast, which are these these circuits. And that's that idea is just a myth. It's a very pervasive myth, but it really is a myth because the brain isn't structured that way. It doesn't function that way. It didn't evolve uh, that way. Um, and so emotions aren't really built into us from birth. They are built by our brains as we need them yeah. um, in a way that's very tailored to the specific situation well, then, that we're in. So our, our emotions, if you like, are not reactions to the world. They are constructions of the world. So making sense of incoming stimuli, uh, our past experience, I presume, guides us. Emotions are then kind of actively constructed with that past experience. Well, you are right on the money there, Dave. That's exactly right. So. One of the tricky things is when people ask questions like, do animals have emotions? I say, well, you know, we have to really understand what a brain is doing when it creates an, an instance of emotion. And for that, we have to understand how brains work. And you just described it really well. So unbeknownst to your brain doesn't make itself aware. You don't experience this in your everyday life. But really what your brain is doing is it's making sense of signals that it receives from, you know, your eyes and your ears and all of the sensory surfaces inside your body too that monitor glucose and oxygen and so on. And it's attempting to make sense of these using your past experience. That's exactly right. Well, then let's put it this way. The word affect, I want you to explain to me, because like human beings are not at the mercy of, as you say, mythical emotion circuits buried deep within some sort of animalistic parts of our highly evolved brain or whatever. Uh, We are architects of our own experience. But what about human infants? They don't feel emotions um, because they lack the rich set of concepts required to construct them, if you like. They do feel affect, though, pleasant or unpleasant sensations, but not fear or sadness or joy. Can you go that far? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think newborns are are like all other animals. Um, They um, they feel affect and but very quickly they start to learn emotion concepts. I think it's really important and interesting. Like when I, you know, when I gave birth to my daughter, um, it was very tempting to believe that if I, you know, that her cries, for example, um, meant something specific about the emotional state that she was in. Yeah. But really controlled research shows really clearly that the only thing a cry tells you is the intensity of your infant's distress. The acoustics of the cry are exactly the same 
whether the infant is, you know, hungry or thirsty or tired or, or bored or, you know, just wants a cuddle. Um, the, the acoustics are the same. The intensity is related. The intensity of the cry is related to the intensity of the discomfort. And when you remove the context that the infant is in and you just show, um, you know, adults, um, even the parents um, of the infant, um, just the infant's movements or just listen to the cry, they're really bad at guessing about what the cry means. However, when you put the infant in a context, right? So when my daughter cried, I would think, well, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I just fed her an hour ago. You know, like I'm adding all this context to try to figure out what her cry means. And that's what we do um, when we, uh, you know, when we interact with infants, we're, we're making inferences about yeah. what their cries mean, what their movements mean, and so on. We, we speak emotion words to them. Um, and it turns out emotion words are really kind of special uh, for humans because actually words in general are kind of special for humans because words are invitations to learn concepts, to learn things about the world. And even a three-month-old can use a word to learn something abstract about the world, even though the infant doesn't even know what the word means. Right, exactly. Okay, well then getting back to animals, finally, just a couple of things I want to mention here. Animals, okay, they don't experience emotions, they simply feel affect. They lack the language, if you like. They can't categorise emotions. They go through the world, experience pleasant and unpleasant situations and reacting with, if you like, I don't know, different degrees of arousal, but not emotions as such. No fear, no anger, no joy, no sadness. We can't call them that. But the reason why we think animals feel emotions is that, you know, we project them. Like, we make the mental inference fallacy as it's called we unknowingly apply our own emotions but animals do get excited they do get happy they do get scared as we do and we are animals like for instance like do dogs react to you crying well does any dog react i mean does luna react when i'm crying yeah I think Luna definitely is sensitive to my moods. There's no question I mean, about dog, that. Dogs but... have a great sense. They have a great knack of sensing things. That'll be illness or emotion or goodness or evil. They do have that sense, don't they? But that doesn't necessarily mean that they feel afraid the way we feel afraid. Yeah. And it also might mean that because their own their brains are... Um, you know, the, their sensory surfaces are a little different from ours, right? They can smell things that we can't smell and they can hear things that we can't hear. It also means that they may have concepts and knowledge about the world that we don't have, which means that they could be experiencing things that we don't experience. Yeah. So I'm not saying that ant, that ant pets and other animals don't have feelings. And I'm certainly not saying that they um, are little robots. You know, they're very bonded to us. I mean, we, and we're bonded to them. You know, humans are social animals. We regulate each other's nervous systems. Um, we're the caretakers of each other's nervous systems. Even just speaking words to each other um, influences, you know, our our collective physiology. Um, but the same is also true with our dogs. I mean, we, you know, we bond with our dogs and that means we regulate their nervous systems and they regulate ours. And part of that is exactly what you described, which is, that we're sensitive to each other's moods. But that doesn't necessarily mean that when I feel afraid and when my dog feels, af and when I perceive my dog as afraid, that in my dog's head, the dog's brain is actually computing the same thing that my brain does yeah. when I'm feeling afraid. My dogs 
fear is very real to me. That's how I understand what is going on in my dog's head. Um, but in the dog's head, can the dog do the same thing that I'm doing to create fear? I don't know that that's the case. And it, it seems like it's not, actually. Okay, well then, going just going away finally from the dog. But by the way, we are talking to psychologist Lisa Feldman Barrett, who is Professor of Psychology at Northeastern University in Massachusetts. You mentioned, or you, you referred earlier on, in your studies or in what you've looked at and all the sort of research that you've done, the differences in the primates, rodents, elephants, horses, I don't know, birds, dogs, cats, honeybees, crayfish, whatever. Have you found there are differences? Because you mentioned insects earlier on yeah so i think that um i should point out i mostly study humans but i've um uh, yeah. i've uh, read a lot and i work with people who study um other animals and actually some of my former graduate students have you know large labs where they study all kinds of animals um and you know what i would say is that there are real differences that are important and this is not just kind of navel gazing, you know, like philosophical musings. It's really important when I say that from a human's perspective, you can look at an animal like a fly or a rat or a monkey or a dog, and you experience them as being emotional, but in their own brains, are they doing the same thing in their own brains that you're doing in your brain when you experience emotion? Um, and the answer seems to be no. And here's why it's important. It's not just a a fun conversation to have with a very charming radio host. It's important because if a scientist is studying a brain circuit that controls, say, freezing behavior, you know, animal freezes when it's uncertain about something, yeah. like say in a rat. Um, so a rat, you know, you present a rat with a with a tone, and then you shock it, and you do that a couple of times, um, and then you present the tone alone. The rat freezes; it just it stops moving. And if you believe that freezing is an expression of fear in all animals everywhere, then you would call that the fear circuit. And you might discover that a drug can suppress the activation of the circuit, which looks like it controls fear. Yeah. And so then you think, oh, I have a drug that controls fear and I'm going to give it to humans who are suffering with anxiety disorders or with um, PTSD, and it doesn't work. The, the problem, right, the mental inference fallacy has now caused a really serious problem. And the problem is that the word fear doesn't, you know, the word fear means something to a human brain that it can't possibly mean to a rat brain because the rat doesn't have the same architecture that allows it to um, make sense of, of itself in the world in the way that a human brain does. And if you generalize from a rat to a human... Yeah. You make this mistake. And this is a serious, serious problem. In fact, um, you know, Joe Ledoux, who is a neuroscientist, he's wrote a book called Anxious, makes this point in his book. He says, um, you know, one of the reasons why we don't have really good treatments for anxiety and depression and other mood disorders is that there's been this assumption that animals experience um, emotions in this in this in a very human way and and that w what we learn about doing research with animals can apply directly to humans and mm. that's just not the case wow fascinating stuff indeed the author of seven and a half lessons about the brain and how emotions are made um psychologist lisa feldman barrett professor of psychology at northeastern university in massachusetts thank you so much for being with us on the program today lisa thank you it's been my pleasure thank you so much Dave Fanning on 2FM.